0: Star, don't you get it? Don't you let them take what it's supposed to be.
1: All right, so we're recording now. Um, okay. Sorry to cut you off like, like you,
0: that's already conversational. Um, you're listening to studs and I am here at the table with Christy Valenti and RJ Casey.
2: Hi.
1: Hello.
0: And they are the editors of Comics Journal 303, um, which is due out...
2: January, February?
1: and January, hopefully, yes. In the January? yeah.
2: Depending on our printer.
1: Yes. Has to come over from China on a boat. Um, I don't know China, but maybe
2: Canada. Yeah,
0: I hear. A, oh yeah, <laughs> fist bump, <laughs> Canardia. Um, I hear good things about Canadian printers. Um, I was explaining to Simon the other day how Image kind of pumps through things because I think they use Canadian printers. They're faster. They're faster, mm-hmm. and all the books smell like poutine because it's from Quebec.
2: Actually, Kayama books smell amazing. Because, you know, it's printed in Canada, and she's beautiful paper.
0: I think it's sometimes she may have even actually thrown candy in with the books, but <laughs> I don't think she does that anymore.
1: Are you a book smeller, Robin?
0: I, and not one of those folks that will, like, stick my nose right in there, but if a book smells bad, I get angry. And there was one recently, and everyone thought I was on glue, because, well, the glue smelled. That was a, not on purpose, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you both for joining me today. I've already derailed. Uh, obviously, it's been a while since I've done one of these. Um, I was coming down to Seattle, and RJ had been talking to me about kind of wanting to talk about a new issue. I think you asked, have I ever interviewed editors? At which point, I wanted to be like, have you t- ever looked at my website? Um, that was some good research there, RJ.
1: I know you have. That was <laughs> I was trying to get the foot in the door. I was getting this conversation rolling.
0: All right. Um... But it's interesting, you guys are doing 303, and it's kind of a return to the magazine format. Yes. Um, Now, the really important thing about this that I kind of, I think I want to start out with, is it's, I mean, you've been involved with the comics journal for many years. I think you were an intern originally?
2: Yeah, I started in 2003. So I've done more than 50 issues of the journal, plus I've worked, you know, a about Tucker and Tim and Dan, plus I've worked on some of the libraries.
0: But RJ is the new Kim block. That's right. And this is the first Comics Journal thing without Kim Thompson, which is kind of one of the things I first wanted to start talking about is kind of picking up on that legacy. I mean, you worked with Kim pretty extensively, so you can kind of talk about that, Um, but it is like kind of where do you go from that where you're kind of picking up because... From what I understand, Gary's not very involved with this at all. Well,
2: the journal is Gary's baby. Um, The reason how Kim affected it was um, Kim passed away, so I started doing more of Kim's Kim's books. I'm going to put quotation marks around that. So I was shifting over that way, so I had less time for the journal, and Gary had less time for the journal, but mm-hmm. I mean, Gary's name is right there on the front. He is the comics journal. Panagraphics was founded and for... And he's
1: totally on board with this new issue. I mean, pretty but much this... half the issue is either his writing or his his longer interview for 303. Okay. What mm-hmm. kind of writing did he do for it? Uh, he did an introduction to his interview, basically about Tommy Unger's entire life and career. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you coming in as the new kid... Um... <laughs> Sorry, to call you That hard, Uh
0: What are some things that you wanted out of this, out of this new
1: kind of the renaissance of the? Comic I definitely film? wanted to see it in print again. Mm-hmm. Um, that was important to me, and I wanted to get a lot of new faces and voices involved. Um, you know, I love the people who have written for the comics journal in the past, but that's that's rotated through some writers and some artists and get some new people involved uh my first issue i bought was a tim sale on the cover and christy was actually interviewing josh simmons in that in that issue oh wow so this is kind of like a this is like you know, a full happy era yeah. josh simmons
2: yeah yes. actually it was awesome because he was living in a movie theater in los angeles so i got to interview him in a movie theater in los angeles
0: oh that was when he was living with wendy
2: I think uh, it was, I, he was yeah. ju- it was just him so yeah. Um, but yeah it was I heard that was a crazy place it was beautiful and if you're going to interview somebody definitely interview Josh Simmons in an old Los Angeles movie theater because that atmosphere is, is very useful
1: that was my first issue and I went out and immediately bought all the happy issues after that so this is kind of cool to like Christy was the first interview I read and now we're working together on this new issue what
0: was the the kind of push to actually, like, revisit, like... I mean, this it's not just a casual thing. Let's go and do issue 303, because three, it's probably been, what, 10 years since 300?
1: Six or, six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I bugged Gary a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just trying to be uh, just kind of, like, what is it, like, uh, just in his ear. Like, hey, wait, they should bring this back. We should bring it back. And he said, all right, I'll listen, just like kind of write, write something up. So we got together and kind of wrote up like a, a pitch or a proposal, which is essentially like the, going to be the uh, editor's note in in our first issue back, uh, just edited edit it down slightly. But that was it, basically saying that um, we want more of a platform for artists than than it had been in the past. Uh, we want to give voices to people who haven't had them in the past or uh the comics journal hasn't focused on in the past how do you see it as
0: a kind of not the website because the website is very functional and it's very up-to-date things are constantly happy with it like it's actually people kind of people complain people complain about everything but i actually think the website's pretty solid as far as like different content ongoing content like it's it's not stale um Mm.
2: We want to be more thoughtful and holistic. I guess that's sort of a buzzword, but we don't have any reviews. It's all columns, it's all features. We have this amazing, I'm gonna call it a true crime piece, which, yeah. um, so we do have more time for investigation. That was an amazing piece that you brought in and it blew me away, so um, yeah, I, I I love editing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, give me a word count and a deadline, and this is how I think, and this is how I edit. And, and I love print. Um, I love putting it together like a puzzle. I'm pretty good at the infrastructure of print, like what we need to do, how we need to do it. Um, I love mapping out signatures. Yeah, so I think we want we want edited writing. Um,
1: In terms of how it's different than the site, I think the site has the advantage of it can be, always be timely. It can go mm-hmm. on the next day. Um, there's reviews almost daily I mean Monday through Friday there's editorials and things daily and with the magazine it's going to be not so up to date and newsworthy it's going to be more of people explaining how things are affecting their work and their life overall so you see kind of more on a legacy basis like a comic art magazine
0: kind of in that modern contextual thing not that comic arts come out in what probably
1: more than 10 years yeah sure sure but it's yeah yeah. (laughs) in terms of yeah longer longer pieces uh things that are just about the book that is coming out next week uh no like uh, obvious pr things or like uh graphic novel samples or
2: yeah just yeah more uh hot take i don't want to do hot takes this is like people who are thinking about
1: (gasps) Save that takes for the web.
2: Well, you know what I mean. I don't want it. RJ's
1: like
0: Captain Hot take right now.
2: I Well, that's that's what the web is for. and I, But I I also enjoy, you know, pieces that are kind of take a longer view or think of, or like a little more thought through. Um, yeah. Not that the web is for immediacy. It's like for now, like I read this book, I'm reacting to it. Also because I'm a writer, so I always know what I want to say after I'm done writing a piece, and by then it's too late. So I like the idea. Like, I wrote a piece for this, and it took me a long time, and I had a lot of help from a lot of people like Chris Mountner, RJ, Gary, Eric Reynolds.
1: It's a longer piece in the book, right?
2: 5,800 words. Plus a timeline.
1: It's about the history of distribution uh, and just how we got from, like, what... Form comics have taken from the 90s until now. What are your, some of the conclusions that
0: pop through while doing the article and the research? Do you kind of have a different understanding of where things are now than you may have before doing the article?
2: Yes, because our interns are 22 years old, and that will teach <laughs> you a lot. And I don't mean this in a sarcastic way, I mean it's just such a different perspective. like. Interns grew up with comics. They could have a comic anywhere anytime. Like they they grew up, they could read comics for them. I did yeah. not have that. They've had torrenting since they were 7. So, I it's like such a different way of thinking about comics that I thought is really interesting and really useful because I'm, you know, I was born in the 80s, so I had like the drugstore and the library when I was a teenager. So just How people get comics, I think about all the time.
1: Now kids are getting them through, you know, Scholastic book fairs. They're coming to them. They don't have to really search out comics.
0: Well, Scholastic was always... Even when I was a kid, there was Scholastic stuff. But it was like,
1: oh, right, I can get a family circus collection. And now it's Raina Telgemeier, Jeff Smith, Amulet series.
2: And we actually, that's the theme of the issue, is loosely the new mainstream of comics. um, Because that word gets batted around, and I don't think it's very useful.
1: Mainstream and indie. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, people calling Raina an indie creator or Jeff Smith an indie creator when they're doing a lot better than 99% of mainstream people. Sure, and
1: are going to influence about 99% of all cartoonists in the next 5 to 15 years.
2: I mean, she sold a million books last year. Jesus Christ. According to Brian Hibbs. I'm going to credit that source of information. <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't have to be so nice no one's no one's gonna s- check your sighting in a podcast
2: i would <laughs> <laughs>
0: podcast is where you can really make up truths you know and just have fun with it. you guys don't want to do that okay that's fine <laughs> be proper responsible journalists um i kind of you know we're talking about uh, the segue from distribution i mean Right now, RJ's in a little bit of heat for his uh, hot comicsology take, and and I kind of want to jump into that a bit. Sure. Your face is going a little bit red.
1: No, I'm just already thinking.
0: Yeah. Um, because, I mean, this is just the kind of reality also with with comic books, as a lot of people are taking um, the online thing, and that's... Space is getting limited, people are buying digitally, unfortunately, or fortunately no judgment at all is comicsology's come out as the the force within it um and i'm kind of interested in that do you see modern comics distribution with the amazon
1: structure and the comicsology structure reconcilable for future comics i think all comics and books in general are going to be on amazon no matter what that's just the way of the world, I guess. Um, and all our books are going to be on Comicsology and Fantagraphics and most other publishers. But what I wrote about was mostly the Comixology Originals line where com- Amazon's trying to step in and, and be the publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, that I have more of a problem with than just them serving as a distri- distributor.
0: Now, the interesting thing with that, um, that one particular, the hit reblog book, is I actually think it's published by... Bedside Press, and I'm interested in, in that. It's to me, it's like the Reader's Digest of comic collections. um And I was telling that to Simon earlier, and it's like I don't really know what the future is with that kind of comic thing. It's like when Ivan Brunetti did those graphic storytelling things for Yale, but well, those were, those the, are obviously for a library without that kind of depth of criticality Uh where it's just like we're just pumping stuff out i don't know if i'm really helping anything Um,
1: (laughs) i my what i went off on my article was the hollywood reporter article where i said amazon's coming to spx and it's bringing its hit hit reblog so i assume i didn't look at the definition of it's yeah um so that's how i got the information where i thought it was published specifically for the show but Even if it isn't, I still view it as kind of a Trojan horse, and I don't know what's worse. It was published for the show, or it was used by Amazon to get in the show.
0: Yeah, it was... I think neither. um, I think it existed, and it's just an opportunity. But also, there's something interesting where I kind of want to talk about, I don't really know if this is the venue, is just how dependent comic festivals are on money because we're talking about distribution channels and really for small press comic festivals are it um and like for myself being involved in organizing a comic festivals knowing how all the dollars work and stuff and just like how you're really figuring out how many tables we're getting and how much money right. that's going to be and how much we can do with that money
1: to pay an organizer or to bring in guys okay. jumping to your head a little bit but yeah. in 304 we're having an article being written about that very thing right now okay um, but I think, I mean, I, at least I hope that shows are going to have to be uh, more transparent about that sort of thing. Um, at least tell the artists where their table money is going or how it's being used. And I think if shows are transparent, I, I, I mean, if they're open about it, I, I see no problem. But Do shows have to be transparent? They haven't been in the past. I don't think they have to be, but hopefully artists get together and uh maybe push the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm I'm just kind of
0: asking out of it. I actually think shows can be completely transparent if they're non-for-profit societies, especially.
2: I think SPX. they have to. I'm not 100% conversant on the law, so don't, you know, I'm not going to be super accurate. But I think if you are a non-profit, you do need to, at least for tax purposes, say where the money is coming from.
0: Yeah, you you you, you would have... In Canada, at least, you have to have your financial statements, which have, like, a list down of where all the are going. So you could actually, like, if you want to spend the time, you can really find out with TCAF some stuff. Um, but, like, I don't think you'll ever get
1: anything from, like, Brooklyn Comics. I mean, that's just a private enterprise and stuff. Unless all the artists who table their demand they get something from it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have a longer goal with the, with the journal as far as, like, your thinking
1: forward to the issues. We have people writing for 304 currently and we're kind of penciling in a 305 right now. Oh wow.
2: Because that's how print works which is another thing I love. I know I keep talking about how much I love (laughs) print but um you know I think people just don't understand and that's a lot of what I do in my pieces um you know people just don't understand how things get from the publisher to the shelf and so you know um that's you've got a plan ahead, that's print. In fact, we were talking about um, blood and thunder and how we're going to do maybe like a prompt for blood and thunder because people won't be able to react because we'll be close to the printer by the time this one comes out. So
1: Right. So in January or February when issue three oh three comes out, we're gonna be kind of pushing three oh four already to the printer. Oh wow. so that immediate blood and thunder won't be around, but we can still give a prompt about the theme and ask people if they're interested. I still want to keep. I think it's still a viable column that is important. So, what do you have for the Blood and Thunder for three hundred three? We asked people um, what they want to see out of the future of the new comics journal, again, the, the rebirth of the comics journal. Did you target anyone specific to kind of get input, or was it just like an open call? We targeted people that we felt like were kind of leaders throughout the spectrum of comics,
2: also opinionated. And opinion yeah. people. So <laughs> people like... who are not afraid to be opinionated. <laughs>
1: Send a fax of Dave Sim. We,
2: we did not do that. <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't even know how. I don't know how this sent a fax. So he I was do. off the list. <laughs> and
2: I, I am pretty sure his opinion would be like, I don't know, I'm a void of light or something. I don't. So if he even knows who, I, that's all right.
1: So we um. have people in the first issue, like um, kind of the, the old guard, like I'm Brunetti and Peter Bag all the way to kind of, like, more, uh, like, mainstream people. we use this word again. Superhero people, like Ryan Stegman, who does Spider-Man, gave us a letter. And then we have, like, younger people, like, with Taylor, uh, Sofiano. It's
0: okay to say mainstream for that, because, like, one of the things... So I came to that a couple weeks ago. I went to that, like, Marvel exhibition at the Pop. MoPot. MoPot.
2: Museum of Pop Culture. There we go.
0: Uh, I went to that, and... Um, that is mainstream culture right now. It's like everyone's wearing a Black Panther Mm t-shirt and a Spider-Man t-shirt, and it just doesn't relate to sales.
2: That's another thing I talk about in my piece. (laughs) Yeah. It's a big piece. It's 50. I like, I worked on it for a long time, but I got a lot of help from a lot of people. Um, so
0: a lot easier to sell a Wonder Woman t-shirt than to sell a Wonder Woman comic. Yes.
2: And you know, it's interesting too because Wonder Woman means something to me that it doesn't mean to a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: and again, that's great. Um, I Again, I don't understand why people think their children react to things the way they did when, you know... And When I was nine, there was... I didn't even... I read like a little bit of She-Hulk maybe because again, that's what was there. But like they've grown up on manga and you know they have their own superheroes they have so many things so why would they get you know what i mean like people are not little a nine-year-old isn't gonna feel about star wars the way a kid who was nine in 1970 when it came out i don't know i'm actually from 77. some time well i'm actually i grew up in modesta where george lucas is from oh, okay so i think i sort of like developed a i'm not gonna be super into star wars because every there's literally a statue to george lucas and I'm a rebel, so... Like a Java no, it's American Graffiti, because that was shot in Modesto. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, you just can't... Ex- like, there was nothing. They had, like, comics, a little TV. I mean, people... You know, the movies came out a lot less. Blockbusters had just been invented. I mean, you can't expect a nine-year-old to react to that. I mean, everything they've seen has been influenced by that. They can see that, you know, 24 hours a day on TV. It's just not going to be what it was when or their parents were seven, or nine, or whatever.
0: And that's kind of the the really interesting thing, is that because these Marvel properties and DC properties have become such entertainment things, that it exists as that, and folks don't really engage with it as comics, necessarily. Sure. And where with the Reinas and the Smith and the Kazu, you're engaging that with the comic. There's nothing but comics until there's like a smile musical um that's that's what you're going with and so it's kind of interesting how it's really working on that language and developing that language for kids
2: but then comics have always been multimedia and you know i mean wasn't it that's like the whole planet brain sorry um superman that came from the radio show a lot of that stuff right daily planet
1: oh was I... that
2: so I feel like, I could be wrong, I don't have my source, but, so I feel like there's always been this give and take, or like, you know, obviously the Batman TV show, like, very, you know, so there's been this back and forth from forever, and I do Maybe don't,
1: there just hasn't been a, as much a discrepancy in terms of yeah. viewers and readers than... Yeah. You know. I think yeah. the thing
0: I'm thinking of is just that these cultures can, are really diametrically different, like, this is all going into, like, pop culture, this is a t-shirt, and then, like, we're looking at, like, the YA market is in the children's market. It's, it's it's comics, and it's, like, librarians are responding to that. I mean, mm-hmm. working with the library in Vancouver for VanCaf, and they love it. Like, they want to have it there. They want to be involved because that's their biggest market. Working with the bookstores, they love it because that's the only expanding book market other than books about Donald Trump right now. Like, yeah. It's
2: comics. I have a statistic in my piece where I think most, uh, statistically, most people reading and buying books are under 29. Um, So that's also kind of an interesting counterintuitive... And mostly mostly, uh,
1: women, right? Yeah,
2: Yeah. Uh, women. But also, statistically, men read more books by men and women read more books by women. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, these are just things I've been looking up and thinking about because, you know... I'm a lady who grew up at a time where, statistically, women weren't reading that many comics, quote-unquote, untrue, but, you know, so.
0: But, and that's kind of where you also look at how publishers uh, really have their, don't have their thing together as far as responding to that. Like, you know, Image isn't doesn't have a lot of women there choosing the comics getting published by Image. Um, sorry if that's a new
2: Um, (laughs) but I mean, the thing is, uh, so that's why a lot of the people who are doing comics today were influenced by newspaper strips Yeah. because that's general Mm -hmm. audience. So, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, it's, so I mean, it's, it's the medium. It's never been a problem with the medium. Yeah. Like people love comics.
0: Well, I'm I'm just talking, I'm talking literally like the industry, like where you don't have as many publishers having that acknowledgement of women as part
2: of the power structure. Well, that's true. But, again, like, women read tons of comics. They read yeah. web comics. They read... Mon- I mean, they all, also, I'm not saying they don't yeah. read, you know, violent image comics, I, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, there are comics for them. It's just not going through these traditional no. structures.
0: And that's where that success of the, the Scholastic is coming from, because they're kind of more a response to what the readers are, necessarily. Kind of 20-year-old method <laughs> you guys are all just
2: staring at me <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think we're in well, agreement here yeah
2: mountainer and i am i pronounced that mountainer or mountainer yeah. okay i yeah. actually see it written um but we both really get into that like that's kind of a bulk of our that's why you need to buy the, the <laughs> issue to read all of these brilliant well thought out observations
1: so in terms of when we we're exploring the new mainstream christy is is giving us the the rundown and the timeline and then we have chris Mounter come in and say more of the editorial side like uh, you know these books are selling one million two million three million copies but are they good uh is there a, is there a, a bell curve that we have to as readers and critics look at these books.
0: Well, you remember the, like, I don't know if you're around much, but I mean, you know, like the whole 2006, when all the book industry latched on comics really quick and signed a whole bunch of people fresh out of art school, and a lot failed really badly.
2: Yeah, 2006 is actually a pivotal year in my piece i have an actual timeline okay because i love timelines (laughs) Um,
0: that's a good editorial structure
2: well also because it's visual and we have graphic designers and they love visual (laughs) things um yeah i i mean basically what happened was comics got into the bookstore market to readers where people could buy them and i mean that just changed everything really um and then you know other things happened and We all know about like the internet, but, um, and smartphones and things like that. But so, yeah, I mean, it's just, I should, I'm rambling a little bit. So you should say something.
1: No, you got to read the issue.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you want more of this brilliant stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: one of the things about highlighting issues, talk about some of the stuff that's in it. Um, the Tommy interview that. Uh-huh. Um, did Gary. Where did you travel to to do that? Ireland? Ireland, yeah. Oh, Ireland. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how old is Tomi younger now? I think he's 80, 87. 87? Wow, yeah. And Gary went to Ireland. Uh, spent Did two interviews, I think, in Ireland, and then did like a follow up maybe on the phone or through Skype. So they spent a long time together. How long is that interview going to be?
2: How, it was like. Eighty pages? Oh wow. It's, well, how many words was it? It was like a thirteen thousand word intro plus Yeah.
1: It's it's a long interview. It's a it's a very much a Gary interview. Um, but this is an artist who has been creating all types of art and books for 50, 60 years. So I would think the length of the interview is fitting. Now for I'm gonna be honest, most people listening to this may not
0: know Toby and why Toby is a fascinating and important. Sure. Um Dave Cooper knows. (laughs) He's really obsessed with Tomy. Um, But what it is. Oh, yeah. No, he. he, There was like a particular Tomy painting when he was young. And then that kind of. When you get to know Dave and the two different sides of Dave, it makes a lot of sense. So, the two different sides of Tomy. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I mean, if not, I mean, he is from Alsace. Uh, again, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Right. I think that's Alsace. on the
1: border of France and Germany. Well, right?
2: there's the whole World War One, World uh-huh. War Two thing if we're looking at how France and Germany responded. But basically, he grew up occupied by Nazis. So, again...
1: They came and occupied his, his city when he was, I think, 10 years old. Right. Jesus. Because
2: if you know how World War Two works, the way the armies go, well, I'm not going to get into that, but they always run straight to Alsace in the rain, World War One and World War Two, and... That's where he was. And so, I mean, if nothing else, I mean, you get, like, 50s publishing with Marie Sendak. And, like, he...
1: Ursula Nordstrom. Yes. Who worked at Harper, I believe, who brought in, you know, Shel Silverstein, Marie Sendak. You know, every every children's book that lasted the test of time, she was the editor of.
2: And she was, like, you know, this avant-garde, powerful, who was just like, let's get these great artists. And, you know, basically change children's books forever. I'm very... Pro-editors? We're both pro-editors? <laughs> We're both like, so... But
1: you have Tommy's life, like you mentioned, the, the duality of his life is that he's been making children's books forever, but also he's been making, uh, you know, anti-war posters. Uh, Doctor
2: Strange Love Yeah, the movie, movie poster, poster
1: and... Uh, satire, and straight-up erotica and porn.
2: Which again is another thing which is a question you can always talk about is like artists doing work for adults, artists doing work for children, that's never a question that's gonna go away, like how do they interact? Like how does that affect an artist?
1: Yeah. I was gonna say in Tommy's case, he was basically you know, he says he was blacklisted by uh, the ALA because he was crossing that line. He was doing children's books as well as erotica and all his other things and they basically said, we're going to stop selling the children's books. And it affected his, his life and career and has been fighting that his whole life. And, you know, yeah. Gary loves the artists who, who fight.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as, uh, like, Maurice had to be pretty hidden about his sexuality for a long time, right? Sure.
2: Yeah. And um, Gary loves funny haters. <laughs> <laughs> Those are his people. Like, that, he will never not be fascinated by funny haters.
1: Yeah, people who have a lot of rage and wit. <laughs> Are there any particular folks that stand
0: out to you that you'd like to see that kind of come from that area that that could use highlighting? Like Kenneth Smith or something?
1: A Kenneth Smith?
2: <laughs> well, we were actually joking about this because we don't have Ken Smith in this issue, but We don't. <laughs> we have something way better. So
1: we were so you know, we were trying to comparing the new our new comics journal to ones in the past and people are like, Well, what's gonna be the the weird comment that people are going to can get confused by if Kenneth Smith's not there. We've got some stuff up our sleeve.
0: <laughs> You're leaving me hanging
2: here. That's because people need to go out and buy the issue. <laughs> I'm
1: not going to say anything until you say what it is.
2: Well, you have the table of contents. I think you can figure it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we have some artists that are some, yeah, artists and, and writers that we brought in because we knew they were coming from another. Place that you know, either Christine and I could write about, or other writers we knew. They're um, completely unique.
2: And what's interesting is they've never written for print. Yeah. Which fascinates me. So just even simple things like uh, art, like could you provide some art? There's like all these conventions you don't think about, like you know, fair use and like to do, or just people are literally. You're like you have this many words, and that is a place. So That's I,
1: something I had to completely learn too. I've,
2: and I I think you notice that's how I think now. I'm like, it's this many words, it's this many yeah. words. So I think it's interesting because I think it affects people's writing, and I think in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think just editing as well for some writers and artists who... We have we have artists in this issue who have never done uh, just straight-up writing, and we have writers who've never done anything for print or been you kind of under the microscope of editors. So I think it all comes together and makes a really unique
0: issue. So what are some of the things that you learned as an editor working with Christy, who has much oh. more
1: editorial experience? Everything. You? I'm good at getting balls rolling and being enthusiastic, but Christy is actually the things that holds everything together.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know how it's, I just know how to do it. I know how to get it done. I know, like, we need to get this person to do this, this person to do that. We have to think about, you know, this list, this, you know, yeah, so just very and plus I'm a freelancer and you're a freelancer too, but um so I you know I'm able to think like a freelancer and so I'm like I need to do this. It's it's not that exciting but like I'm really able to kind of do both sides of it, mm-hmm. um which I think is helpful.
0: For yourself, um, what do you want out of a new journal that you weren't getting before? Kind of what do you for yourself as your kind of imprint on it of the reflection of your impact
2: on there gosh that's hard to say i mean i think i'm again i'm i just want really good writing i'm obsessed like i literally have dreams in which i assign columns about specific topics (laughs) and then the person accepts that and writes a column for me and the writing is amazing
0: so what do we have for simon hanselman (laughs) we can get something in the future
2: yeah I mean, I'd be curious to see what he has write.
0: What's but a topic? I want a topic for him.
2: <laughs> what would I write about? Why are you bringing me into this? I don't,
0: <laughs> just for that response.
2: What are you... I don't know. The top five stoner comics of all time. It's a, a bit reductive.
0: I don't
1: know. Well, okay. What about the top
2: five witch comics of all time? I don't know. See, again, I'm not a good at extemporaneous. Yeah,
0: you guys are doing good
1: good <laughs> <laughs> there's no bad ideas over here yeah.
2: well there's also a lot of brainstorming which is another thing i like about print is you mm-hmm. can go through a lot of ideas and refine them and, um, and
1: christy and i are, our desks are right across the room so we can literally brainstorm all day long do you ever like arm wrestle over an idea like someone likes it less than the other
2: uh are definitely <laughs> there's ideas like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i would obviously win hello <laughs> I'm the jock on the table, obviously. There we go.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't know, RJ does a zine about sports
1: mascots. I did, yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, we did joke that this is the only time in all of history that two comic journal editors went to a WNBA game together. Yep. <laughs> and Storm won, That's by the That's gotta be true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> As you guys were, like, needling Gary to do 303, mm-hmm. um were there things that you're like you know we're coming back like this is kind of the things we want to do that really signify the importance of of this as print and just like kind of like big conceptual ideas and I'm curious about that because you kind of have like a an editorial statement in there um, where you do use some, some very strong terms like righteous indignation Um Hi <laughs> <laughs> I find that so weird with you because you're, like, the sweetest guy in person. You just look like you're ready to give people hugs.
1: Sure I am, sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, like, what, what with that editorial statement, you talked a bit about that before, of, like, your pitch to Gary. Um, but did, was there things, like, really specific, like, we're, this is something we need to do because we're not getting this from X comics publication you know comics buyer guide does that even exist anymore i don't know, I don't know.
2: well i'm obsessed with context mm-hmm. and i think the journal can offer context and also it's it's just people always like you need it in print because it's gonna last it's gonna be in a library somewhere like i'm constantly working with the journal um i work with archives stuff from the 80s stuff from the 90s um and just like just reading about a moment in time even bef- you know is just, you're like, oh my goodness, like this is what people, and I work with interns a lot and I keep mentioning this, but like, so example, for example, what if you're working on an underground comic and you're a 22 year old, you know, non binary feminist? So I'm just like, look, there was this thing called the comics code. They had to break all the taboos of the comics code and that's what they're reacting about and that's why it's like this. And once you kind of explain that, people are like, oh. You know, as opposed to, like, why is this so horrific? You know, it's just... It's,
1: it's harder to explain things online when, you
2: yeah. know, uh,
1: tweets or whatever posts are just flying past your face. Yeah.
2: And there's, like, a lot of things I don't know about at all. <laughs> I'm, like, very confused a lot of the time. So that's the other thing like to, like, research, think about it, and organize it.
1: My main thing was, I mentioned this too, but the platform for the artist specifically. Um, I think comics have probably never been terms of sales or money involved definitely money never been more popular but i think artists have maybe have never been in a worse position mm-hmm.
2: yeah i was working with I'm, i've been working on a book about james warren um it's a bill shelley book and when you do the math you're like they're making four thousand dollars a month in the 60s <laughs> you, know, you just ca-
1: drawing creepier or ear or
2: something yeah like and you just or well like no, I think it was... It wasn't specifically mm-hmm. that. But just, like... Yeah, just the sense of, like... Or even, like, Ellen Datlow. I don't know if you know her. She's a very influential editor of a short fiction. Um, she's edited, like... I don't read books with words. I'm all right. Sorry. Well, it turns out <laughs> uh, people got paid one cent a word for fiction in the 80s. And they're getting paid one cent a word for fiction in 2018. <laughs> so, again, we're working with people who are not, you know, and it, it's just harder and harder, I think. We
1: have a column in, the, in this issue, and it's going to be in every issue that we are able to put out, called um, in the, From the Trenches, where it's going to be specifically written by an artist who is working currently, and they're not going to be just talking about their comics, but things that are affecting their life right now. Yeah.
0: The scale of, I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure you go into this, or it's going to be going into the future stuff with, like, how dependent comics are on craft shows on internet sales on personalities like more than ever creators are based on on their presence um, at least yeah. in some kind of context so it's interesting frightening and horrible i mean you know how would uh bill watterson do a webcomic now
1: um Yeah, or would he be able to kind of step back like he was, like he did, or, you know, kept his, uh, was able to be anonymous for so long? Yeah.
2: Well, even somebody like Elena Ferrante, we both love Elena Mm Ferrante, which I may also not be pronouncing correctly.
1: She's an Italian novelist.
2: Yes, she's my brilliant friend. We're both obsessed with this book, Um, and we've been reading the series back and forth, (laughs) because that's how we do, but... um. There was this big thing where this guy's like, I'm going to unmask her. And it turns out it was a pen name.
1: It was just a different Italian writer.
2: Yeah. It's like, it's a lady with a pen name. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, even just somebody who's like, look, I just want to write some books. Here's yeah. my pen name. People. Yeah. So it's this weird. Well, there's also some other things going on with that. But... And then
0: there's the Olivia James Nancy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a pen name as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I have a theory. Yeah ultimately <laughs> but, but you're right uh, i mean more than ever things are dependent on not just in comics but everywhere uh the cult of personality how well you can uh, put yourself out there on social media and then with things like amazon's coming in it makes it more frightening like i was just looking yesterday amazon this wasn't announced yesterday but i was reading yesterday that Amazon's coming after Etsy now. They have their own, their craft portal.
2: Oh, Jesus. Well, I thought the scariest part of your piece was the part where they could control the price point.
1: Sure, they did it with a Marvel area this year. Yeah. They made those new trades so, like a dollar.
2: to me, that is scary for an artist, as not an artist, um, that you don't have any control over how you're, uh, that part of your product. Which I shouldn't say product, I guess, your art
0: yeah that's a problem though is it is you know it's and that's a lot of the stuff right now like there's a lot of stuff within the greater comic milieu of small press stuff that I see as pro I don't really see it as art I see it as like stuff that's made for a craft show um, or a specific Kickstarter campaign that doesn't really lend me to like long
1: term, Uh, integrity. That's probably true. Or it's people, you know, using comics more as a stepping stone to get into some entertainment realm.
2: But I kind of think there's a positive side of that, because I love going to shows and buying comics that people just, like, kind of just made for fun. And I love that. Like, this is not going to be published and, like, that's what I love. I love the ephemeral. I love, there's, like, a sense of fun. um, And I love that. Because I want comics to keep that. No, like
0: and there's I, I think there's 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 two different things to talk yeah. about. Like there's there's the you know, look at the silkscreen comic or a risograph comic, like this is an art object versus like um like crappy print on
1: demand zine. Um I mean you can make a, a Xerox yeah. thing at you know, FedEx or in your at your own home that's just as good as a rizzo.
2: But I mean, also, again, I'm obsessed with the ephemeral and how, like, material history and how it shapes. Because, you know, comics are because we had too much paper in World War II. I mean, that's it. (laughs) So, why are we obsessed with this format, in a way? You know what I mean? Like, it's cool, but there are other ways to express the medium. And, of course, I want artists to make a living and be respected and all of that. I mean, in no way am I trying to. Mm. But I'm just like... You know what the ephemeral is cannot be what it was.
0: Yeah, it's a, we're really at an interesting point. I'm I'm fascinated to see kind of where it goes from here, uh, where where stuff is. Yeah, it's, I don't know if I have a good point. Uh, do you know what Canadian whites are?
2: No.
0: No. In the World War II, they couldn't use color in their comics, so all the Canadian comics were printed in black and white.
2: I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with black and white comics, and I'm obsessed with color too. Um, I think about color all the time because um, a lot of it's really bad, and it upsets me.
1: Or <laughs> a long time ago, when I was tabling at uh, like a Wizard World in Chicago, like my first year, when I was doing Yeti Press, still, and someone came up and grabbed a book and looked through it and goes, "Oh, I don't read black and white comics," and put it down and walked away. <laughs> I always remember that. Like, it's too bad.
2: Well, also because I grew up when black and white meant good mm-hmm. because it meant it was independent and it meant it was the Hernandez brothers or it was Jeff Smith. And now that's obviously not the case. So I've had to really, like, make my brain be like, you know, there's it does not mean good. Like, yeah.
0: Well, it's that whole thing where markets get flooded with stuff. Like, just think about, like, the, you know, the 2006 book market or the late 80s black and white glut. Mm-hmm. you know 1975 underground comics we
1: have, we have information about all this in the comics journal 303
0: <laughs> <laughs> is in the walking dead black and white yep that's a popular comic
2: well and I talk about that <laughs> which you <laughs> will be so fascinated by my deep thoughts <laughs>
0: so what is your article for 304 then
2: (laughs) no actually i get to not write for 304 which is good because um i feel rusty about writing and i'm not very confident because again i love good writing i'm obsessed like good writing about a good book is just what i think about all the time i dream about it there's a book um the leon fink book
1: Oh yeah. yeah, the new uh, Leanna Fink book. Are yeah, been... you familiar with her?
2: Oh, the new book is so good. Is it a book with words? No, no, okay. it's, a,
1: it's a graphic novel. Yeah. She's a, she's like a New Yorker cartoonist and does a lot of uh, gag strips. Oh. But this is her first graphic novel. We both read it. Who we'll like, put it out? It's like a big New York publisher. It's not a graphic novel I'm, publisher. And
2: I should know who... I'm sorry, publisher. They have a very good PR team. Um... But, Obviously
1: not that good if I don't know Well,
2: off the top of my head, I can't remember. I am sorry. But um, they did a great job. Good publicist. But um...
0: <laughs> Agree to disagree.
2: <laughs> but, um, like, I'm playing fantasy football with this. I was like, who could, who, if in a perfect world, who would write about this book? And I just am like, big names, big fiction writers. I want to read something big about it. I want writing that can hold up to the work. Yeah, And this is what I... Because, I mean, think about it. What if that happened? It's called oh, Passing
1: you, for Human, I think. I don't know if it's out yet, but if not, you're ready to first. It's good.
2: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, so you're
1: not just a paid fanographic student.
0: You read yeah. books that aren't published by Tons. Yeah. Yes.
2: And I, I have a hard time talking about fanographics books because if I edit a book, my job is to read it really hard every single day for four months. So I'm pretty obsessed with the books I edit.
0: How do you keep that in mind as both active within... Fanographics and with the comics journal, um, because bucking against that legacy of X cartoon is going. Oh, it's another you know, fanographics publication to boom up their stuff just like they treated the Hernandez. Um, not that I agree with that, but that's the statement that that gets made quite often. And so, what's that line that you guys create for yourself of separating the
1: two? The comics journal and fanographics.
2: Yeah. Well, it's just a lot of full disclosure. I mean, I straight up go look. You know, I, I work at Fantagraphics. They're my employer. I'm writing this article in a magazine published by Fantagraphics, distributed by this distributor, which we're talking about distributors. So I, that's all you can really do, right? Yeah. And I mean, just, like, just... let make, make people aware of, like, this is my situation. So clearly, like, take it with that in mind. I mean, I never write about Fantagraphics books, obviously, because yeah. that would be wrong.
1: That's right. I haven't done that either.
2: No. I mean I, I talked about that's them. The line. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I could talk about them all day, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't I would never write about them. Or maybe I would, but I would again be like cuz I could talk about the Hernandez brothers all day every day and I'd be like I work at Fanographics. I you know, helped edit yeah. some stuff. So again, like doo-doo. But then
0: again, we should talk about the Hernandez brothers all day every yes. day. Yes. Well, and
2: I could you know, I literally spent a year staring at Hernandez brothers art, and I could spend a whole other year, and I'd see new and interesting things because they're just that good.
1: Christian, I've talked about this at work, but we think uh, Eleven Rockets is slightly taken for granted at this point in time. Slightly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It needs to be uh, There needs to be some renewal of talking about it at least. Well, and, and I'm going to be blunt. That's
0: part on you guys too, like with the give... comics journal. No, with the fanographics, like give me a good, easy, accessible Hernandez volume.
1: You got the library.
0: You a... It's a library. You've got like five books. Which one do I just recommend to someone to read?
2: And well, like, we have is... opinions on it. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there is the new uh, Jaime book coming out in two thousand nineteen. That's uh, similar to Love Bunglers. How it's like a you can get it as a standalone story. It's called "Is This How You See Me?" I believe that's the title. Okay.
2: And it's stuff from, you know, Volume 3, the new stories.
0: Because I think, like, especially... Volume. A lot of Jaime stuff, there's a lot of interconnectedness, in but Gilbert especially has, like, just books by itself mm. that work, and it kind of gets lost in this.
2: Well, I've been helping with that, too, because I worked on The Companion. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to mm. me. Um, and I've also been editing it differently in the collections because, to me what was going on was people were comics put it in a book comics put it in a book you don't have to do that you can now think about how does this how can we put this together in a different way and a narrative way yeah so I thought I re-edited I helped re-edit Comics Dementia which I thought really changed it
1: That was a Gilbert Library edition yeah last Uh, year or the year before
2: because I always loved um Fear of Comics like that's one of my all-time favorites yeah
0: I would agree. And that, that for me is actually like a book, a Gilbert book you could just hand to someone and they don't have to read a single Gilbert comic before that.
2: But I'm also fascinated by, I think Gary and Gilbert are very similar in that there's something about the way their brains work where they can see a bigger story in a very specific way. And it's almost like organic magic or something. And they can sense a story in a way that other people can't which fascinates me like that's gary's superpower is to like see a work and see the whole work and understand how it's so much bigger than its parts and see how it's really truly incredible
0: so what are the things you guys work on on the other side of your desk
1: like in terms of editing books for
0: yeah yeah because you know for what it sounds like you have several books on your desk at once yeah I work yeah. on
2: three journal. or four books at a time yeah. plus the journal I, and more I guess
1: I guess the, the books that I worked on that just went to print are uh, The Sea by Ricky Villadsen who is from Norway right Simon?
0: I, I hung out with her in Copenhagen <laughs> I think she's Danish
1: Danish, <laughs> yeah, Danish. That's the it's, ultimate
0: Simon response
1: it's her first uh, English translation uh, worked on that a little bit uh, edited Twists of Fate, which is Paco Roca's next book. His last one was Wrinkles. Um, this is more of a historical book. Um, just did Ink and Anguish, which was the collection of uh, Jay Lynch. Uh, Jay Lynch oh, nice. Yeah,
0: I remember when I interviewed him and like trying to find Jay Lynch comics. Like I had you know, the Nardin Pats. I uh, think I had a couple other things. But it's so frustrating when you're like prepping to interview an underground guy. And yes. it's just
1: like finding those bits and pieces i work on the spain series too which i like a lot but yeah i'm happy with our new underground stuff i'm happy to work on them because i feel like especially with jay and spain like they're gone this is going to be the book now that's gonna you know last the test of time
0: um patrick rosenkrantz is really fascinating as far as like his like depth of obsession and knowledge about He's very work. Good. yeah it's very few guys with that kind of understanding so get everything out of his brain that you can.
2: <laughs> and I definitely want to talk about the books I'm editing. Yeah. I'm obsessed with my books. Fruit of knowledge, everybody should buy it right away. It's Leaves from Strumkist. See, again, I don't know how to pronounce comes it. comes out in right?
1: like, next couple weeks.
2: Yeah, and it's amazing. Everyone should read it in the whole world. Um, it's about, it's subtitled The Vulva Versus the Patriarchy, <laughs> um, which I think is perfect. And, yeah, it's just, this, it's historical, it's well-researched. Um. Yeah, and it's just basically about, I don't even know how do you know, it's like, so it's angry and it's funny, but it's just like, just, yeah, basically that, like how, like one dude had an idea one time about genitalia, and now all of medical history is just based on that with no, like all of the research does not point to that, but one dude had an idea one time, and now that affects
1: generations,
2: yeah, Um. what it should look like. Um, for sure. And also like binary gender, that's not really all that, that's not really a scientific thing at all. So it's just very, um, it's very fascinating, but it's very funny and witty. Um, and yeah, I definitely recommend that. And then drawn to Berlin, um, which is about Ellie Fitzgerald taught drawing, um, in Berlin to refugees. And so that's just really interesting too. And I got to edit that in a way I don't usually get to edit books because Fantagraphics is very well known for the artist hands you the book and you, pu- and you don't
1: don't get in the way you don't
2: shape it it mm-hmm. it shows up and you like proofread it and stuff yeah. and you're not like but I was able to help a little bit with like here's a like Chad asked a question about the transition and I was able to do that so that was really fun. Nice.
0: And then you were you heavily involved in the the Fantagraphics history thing of kind of getting that
1: the 40th anniversary book yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean it was tom spurgeon and mike dean came in later but everything kind of went through i was the person that kind of went through uh you know the checkpoint charlie uh, yes and then i worked with uh, keely mccarthy the sure how we got all these words and photos and art together in that giant book yeah. was that one of your first big projects at pedagraphics yeah I would say I guess the first book that I worked on editing was um, Ezekiel Garcia's book which is growing up in public but uh, we told you so is much larger yeah <laughs> that took like I mean for Tom and Mike it probably took uh, longer but for me it took like a straight year
2: oh and more cinder we have to talk about that because yeah. Ezekiel Garcia wrote. A bio <laughs> for <laughs> that book. And also Mort Cinder is amazing and you should read it.
1: That's Brushia.
2: Yes. And Australia. Oh, helped. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is gorgeous and amazing. And we worked really, really, really hard on it. How
1: much stuff um, is in that book? It's the complete Mort Cinder. That's going to be the first Brushia book that we're doing. Christia did that.
2: Yeah, and we got really good files for it. We got some beautiful, beautiful files. And um, Matt Fraction actually send us a blurb without us even asking (laughs) which is you have no idea my life is trying to track people down to help blur books and he just gave us one so thank you and it was amazing I was very happy about that I was like this never happens but people love Russia
0: when I interviewed Matadi that was like the one guy who just kind of like went on and on about as like his his guy like every artist has the like and like you know Sampayo, like mm. that was that was it for him.
2: Well, and he was doing things like drawing in candlelight to get candlelight in black and white. Jesus, a godfather shit. For yeah. newsprint again.
1: Using he used like he would put the pen away and use like sponges and stuff to try to get yeah, different textures.
2: Yeah, dumb. It was yes. So it's it's awesome. The stories are great. Osterheld is great, obviously. I worked on the Eternat um at, I just, I think this book is beautiful. Jacob did a really, Jacob Covey, the designer, did an amazing job. Everybody kicked a lot of okay. butt on it. Um, I'm very, very proud of that.
1: Chris, edits the complete creep as well.
2: Yes. <laughs> 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 yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah, interns do a lot of stuff on that. Like they help detext, which is like delete the Italian, which means yeah. you spend a lot of time looking at the art. And all of the interns end up like wanting to get creep tattoos. And things like that, because you can become obsessed with it, because the art is so beautiful. I don't know anyone who can draw, like, well, he can draw anything. He can draw a shoe, a foot, a car, Some kick-ass
0: motorcycles. Yep.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the piece I got to write about, because um, I love, obviously, muscle cars.
0: Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So...
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how is
0: this obvious for anyone that doesn't know you Christy I'm from
2: Modesto and Modesto <laughs> is where American Graffiti by George Lucas was filmed and so it's all about cruising up and down McHenry in muscle cars
0: so now I have to ask <laughs> we segued into it. what is the best Fast and Furious movie
2: okay oh. six obviously
0: oh RJ has an opinion I have no opinion no. I was just so happy you asked Christy yeah.
2: <laughs> well because with my... I know Christy's
0: got better taste than me sorry <laughs>
2: I don't know about that. I, I certainly watch more movies than you do. I'll put it that way. But I did do with Stephanie Rivers. She really did all the work. Um, Fancy and Furious. And it's six, obviously. <laughs> I could get into it, but everybody's looking at me weirdly and blankly, so I'm not going to do that. I, I
0: just think any that have The Rock is definitely a step up. I recently rewatched watched uh, Tokyo Drift. Oh, that does not age well.
2: I kind of love... Is Ja
0: Rule vehicle? No. No? No. Tokyo Drift's the one where they go to Tokyo. And... But
2: they have a Hulk. It's really great. Bow Wow has it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen more Bow Wow movies than I should have for a lady my age. <laughs>
0: no longer Lil. <laughs> yeah. No.
1: He's grown up.
2: And he may not be an awesome human. I don't know. But again, I've seen
1: I more. haven't heard anything.
2: Uh, yeah, but... I just, I like Tokyo Drift too. But I watch this all with my friend Stephanie Rivers also. So I think having a group of people to watch it with is really key.
0: Yeah. I don't have friends that are good enough to watch them with me. It's so <laughs> be sad. Simon, do you want to watch some Fast and the Furious? No, I've never seen them and I don't intend to.
2: <laughs> They're really, well, I read a really interesting piece about how in the 21st century action movies have changed. I don't know who wrote this, but somebody wrote it. It's not my idea. And it's about a bunch of really beautiful international people coming together to be cool. And instead of like one white dude, it's all about like beautiful people like, you know, from Korea coming together or Japan. And like, you know, so it's about how like a 21st century action movie has like Michelle Rodriguez. And so that's how people see the future of like action.
0: I think we can all agree. Sadly, Paul Walker's the weak link of the Fast and Furious crew.
2: Well, we're going to have to listen to my Paul Walker theory, which is he has one magical power. RJ has heard this a million times. We just talked about
1: Paul Walker this week.
2: Yeah, if you watch The Skulls, which is a highly. <laughs> Not watchable movie for anybody except for me. Um, he and Joshua Jackson have quite the bromance going on. So that's, like, Paul Walker's one magical power is he's able to, like, generate an insane amount of romantic chemistry with his male co-stars. Romantic chemistry. Yes, and it's he's not a good actor, but when he looks at Vin Diesel or, you know, <laughs> Tyrese, you know. You just know that's his Joshua Jackson. He could just look at a man. and I
0: see from Dawson's Creek? That's right.
2: Joshua Jackson is and he was married to Diane Kruger for a long time and what, held umbrellas he, over her on red carpets.
0: He was in The Affair? Yes. I
2: really like that show. Yeah. Very good show.
1: I haven't seen it. He's yeah.
2: great. I love him.
1: It's a, it's a It seems show. a little intense. It's very intense. It's
2: got your girl like, Mara Tierney in it. Oh,
1: I like her. I like funny things.
2: <laughs> you like Noah Baumbach.
1: That's true. What? Uh, yeah. I'm a big Noah Baumbach fan. <laughs> Crazy.
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well i should watch i should be fair
0: christy is watch. an editor of the comics journal so <laughs> that, that was just just reaffirmed
2: <laughs> well i have yeah i would say my taste in a film is catholic <laughs> in the not in the like religious sense but in the other sense
0: <laughs> well thank you both for joining me today a reminder of talking to christy and rj rj and christy from the Comics Journal, issue 303. Uh, will it look very different than past issues?
2: It's so beautiful. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, you, I just cannot wait. Like, oh, Sean Williams, Sean David Williams, mm-hmm. Jacob Covey, um, Justin Allen Spencer. We had, again, you can't find a better team of designers. We're mm-hmm. so fortunate.
1: Yeah, it'll definitely look...
2: Oh, and Jason Miles actually helped a lot, too, mm-hmm. because he's you know, print production guy. All hands
1: on deck here. Yeah,
2: right? like everybody in the office is really excited about it.
1: It'll definitely look a lot different than the last uh the two, bricks. Two or three tour through the bricks, right? It'll be about 180 pages. Um like Mag- a little smaller than the magazine size or
2: A little larger, right? a 13. Ooh. Wasn't
1: it? Like scratches size? Is that bigger?
0: Scratch, I haven't actually seen a copy. Yeah. It's about
1: $15, too, so about 100 170 180 pages. Nice,
0: Mm -hmm. nice. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'll be honest, the bricks were... I didn't bother. It was a lot. The bricks. um, This will be more digestible, I think. Yeah. Uh, I do want to read the Tardy interview. I think, you know, obviously Tardy is one of the most important cartoonists alive. Um, I still will read at some point, but I'm definitely going to be more likely to jump into 303. Sure. And, uh, yeah, thank you both for taking the time to come down for the drink studs.
1: Thanks <laughs> for having us.
2: Yes, thank you. And thank you, Simon, for hosting and Jack. <laughs>